Hello, I'm John, your host on your Bible teaching program called Search for Truth. Brian Johnston, our Bible teacher, brings us talk number six in our present series called Increasing Our Christian Footprint as We Walk with God. This time, Brian looks at what happens when our foot slips, and he takes examples from Old Testament Bible characters to learn some lessons. So, let's see what these are now with Brian. Thanks, John. Yes, we've been looking at the various uh, biblical sites called the Gilgals. Significant events in the history of God's dealings with his ancient people happened at these sites, and we are revisiting them for our spiritual benefit in this study, trying to discover how we can increase our Christian footprint. We've moved on to the Gilgal site nearer to Jericho, which served as the first base of God's ancient people in the land that was formerly Canaan. It was here the people under Joshua's leadership rolled away the reproach of Egypt as they renewed the rite of circumcision, which was associated with the covenant God had made with Abraham when affirming his promise of this very land to Abraham's descendants. It was here, you remember, that they'd set up twelve stones taken from the dried-up Jordan riverbed. There's every possibility they were set up as a circle of stones, and they served as a memorial of how God's hand had been with them in that river crossing. So this particular Gilgal was where Israel came to remember and to renew their commitments to God. We now stay with this same Gilgal, for it seems to have been the same site which features in the Bible's narrative throughout the days of Samuel, of Saul and David, and even into the times of Elijah and Elisha. We meet it again, as we say, in the life of Samuel, for we read in 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 8, And you shall go down before me to Gilgal, and behold, I will come down to you, that is, Samuel will come down to Saul, to offer burnt offerings and sacrifice peace offerings. You shall wait seven days until I come to you and show you what you should do. We'll aim to come back to those words and their reference to Gilgal, but for now, let's track the continuing storyline of the earliest days of Saul's reign. As I write this, the world is watching the early days in office of a new president of the United States. And in these very modern times of the global reach of so-called social media, it seems as if every hour and every careless remark is being seized upon and scrutinised. In Saul's case, when he'd been presented to the people as their first king, and the shouts of long live the king had resounded and then faded away, there were still those who had their doubts about Saul. At this stage, these doubts wouldn't seem to be legitimate, for the doubters are described as being worthless men. They disrespected Saul, but wisely the new king didn't react to their provocation. It'd soon be a case of actions speaking louder than words. Before Saul was established in anything like a palace or royal residence, while he was continuing in fact to farm his family's farmland surrounding his hometown of Gibeah, a cry for help arose from another Israelite city which was under threat from the Ammonite king. Saul rose magnificently to the occasion with an appropriate sense of anger, for we can say that because this was the result of God's spirit coming upon Saul. This was no stirring of self-interest, but a reaction to injustice and at what was an affront to God and to his people. And with God's help, Saul won a notable victory and so silenced his doubters. In chapter 11 and verse 14 of 1 Samuel, then we read that Samuel said to the people, Come and let us go to Gilgal and renew the kingdom there. 
So all the people went to Gilgal, and there they made Saul king before the Lord in Gilgal. There they also offered sacrifices of peace offerings before the Lord, and there Saul and all the men of Israel rejoiced greatly. So Saul began to reign over Israel. Almost immediately, Israel's arch enemies, the Philistines, came against Saul and his men in a mighty show of strength. The Israelites became demoralised and followed Saul, trembling, it says. In fact, let's read what it says in 1 Samuel chapter 13 from verse 4. All Israel heard the news that Saul had smitten the garrison of the Philistines, and also that Israel had become odious to the Philistines. The people were then summoned to Saul at Gilgal. And some of the Hebrews crossed the Jordan into the land of Gad and Gilead. But as for Saul, he was still in Gilgal, and all the people followed him trembling. Now he waited seven days, according to the appointed time set by Samuel. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattering from him. We've read those verses because of the frequent reminder that this drama was all taking place in the vicinity of Gilgal. Here was Saul in an early crisis. What to do? Samuel hadn't come. Should he wait? But all the while that he delayed, more and more of his army was deserting. Saul then made his fateful decision. He commanded the animal sacrifices to be brought, and in the absence of Samuel the priest, he, King Saul, took matters into his own hands and performed the function reserved for priests. He offered the sacrifices. Clearly, this had all been designed as a test. For we read in the text of verse 10 that as soon as he had finished offering the burnt offering, Samuel came. It's hard to imagine what was in Saul's mind as he greeted Samuel. Samuel cut straight to the chase and demanded to know what Saul had done. Was Saul kicking himself, I wonder, for acting prematurely? Or might he have been satisfied that he'd made a rational decision in exceptional circumstances? At any rate, he was sounding defensive as he explained how he'd come to be caught red-handed. He explained that his thinking had been, Now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal, and I've not asked the favour of the Lord, so I forced myself and offered the burnt offering. Samuel didn't accept that and said bluntly, You have acted foolishly. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord. Your kingdom shall not endure. In verse 15 of the same chapter, chapter 13, we read Samuel arose and went up from Gilgal to Gibeah of Benjamin. Saul paid a heavy price. Perhaps we've some sympathy for Saul, for it seemed he'd been caught between a rock and a hard place. Do we sometimes cut corners, thinking to ourselves that the Lord will understand, that he'll lower his standards, sensing our state of awkwardness? At Gilgal, with Saul, we learn it never pays to be less than totally obedient to the Lord and to his commands. Gilgal stands to remind us of the need to obey fully, faithful in all things, according to God's word. We'll never advance God's kingdom in our lives, never live victoriously if we fail to do all the Lord has commanded. How ironic that it should be at Gilgal that Saul's foot began to slip and he lost ground with victory turning to defeat. Like Saul, we all make mistakes. The thing is, do we learn from them? Saul had another opportunity to demonstrate that he'd learned his lesson. He was sent on a mission to completely destroy the Amalekites, a people who'd a long history of hostility against God's people. Saul, with his army, was to be God's instrument of judgment. 
the commission Saul received was plain and simple. Take no prisoners. Even the livestock was all to be destroyed. It started out well enough. Saul achieved the victory, but he took the enemy king prisoner and spared the best of the livestock. The Lord himself informed Samuel of this before he went to see it for himself. Samuel had tried to guide Saul in the right way at the beginning of his career. He must have had something invested in it, for it says he was distressed. Samuel was distressed to hear of Saul's repeated failure to obey, and he cried out to the Lord all night. Samuel rose early in the morning, we read, to meet Saul, and it was told Samuel, saying, Saul came to Carmel, and behold, he set up a monument for himself, then turned and proceeded on down to Gilgal. Saul seems oblivious this time to anything questionable about his behaviour, else why would he be building monuments for himself? He seemed to be congratulating himself. Little did he appear to know what was coming. In fact, when Samuel arrived, he sounded pleased with himself as he declared to Samuel that he'd carried out the Lord's command. Samuel's reply was classic. What then, he demanded, is this bleating of sheep? Using a flawed defence, as old as the human race, Saul diverted blame, saying, The people took some of the spoil, sheep and oxen, the choicest of the things devoted to destruction, to sacrifice to the Lord your God at Gilgal. Notice also the gloss that he put on it. Saul had approved of a plan that presumed to improve upon God's original plan. Did they think they'd managed to come up with something God hadn't considered? put like that, something that sounded spiritually minded is now exposed as an outrageous audacity. Saul tried to defend the indefensible, but Samuel denounced Saul's action as no less than evil in God's sight. He point blank told Saul that God had rejected him from being king based on the clear fact that Saul had once again rejected the word of the Lord. With the kingdom now torn away from Saul, Samuel turned to the royal prisoner, the enemy king, who must have thought that he'd at least become a survivor. Verse 33 says, Samuel said, As your sword has made women childless, so shall your mother be childless among women. And Samuel hewed Agag to pieces before the Lord at Gilgal. Well, that's our final mention of Gilgal today. We're left with a clear lesson that if we are to take ground and live victoriously, then there simply cannot be any shortcut to full obedience. Let's learn the lesson Saul had the chance to learn, but failed to do so. Let's be sure to check that we and our church association is one which complies fully with the biblical pattern for Christian service. We dare not think that we can modernise and upgrade the purity and simplicity of the first century believers and churches of God. We must stand exactly where they stood, on the precepts of the Apostles' teaching, fully obeying all the commands of the Lord as we follow in the steps of Acts chapter 2, verses 41 and 42. There's still no other way to take ground and make progress in the faith.
Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus. That was the emphatic lesson from Brian's study today, and I hope you've been challenged to follow on in greater obedience in your Christian discipleship. Don't forget there's a free transcript book for this series. It's available to you by asking for the title Increasing Our Christian Footprint. You can order by email or by post, and here's our address. Search for Truth, Hayes Press, The Barn, Flaxlands, Royal Wotton Bassett, Swindon, SN4 8DY UK. Our email address is sft at churchesofgod.info. You may be interested to know that you can listen again to many of these broadcasts off air by audio, podcast, or MP3 versions. If you go to www.searchfortruth.podbean.com, you can browse the list of previous talks, which you'll see has been sorted into categories to assist you to find what you're looking for. So, that's all for today, but I hope you'll be able to join us again next week for the talk on regaining a foothold. Until then, it's very best wishes from Bible teacher Brian, studio technician David, our singers and me, John. So cheerio and may God richly bless you. But we